Hi, I'm Emily Roger, host of the Boiling Point Podcast. My co-host, Dave Vale, and I will bring you thoughtful discussions with leaders who are positively impacting our world. This is The Boiling Point, where leadership and inspiration meet. Hi, Dave. Emily, how are you? I'm doing well. We are back for another episode of The Boiling Point, which is, I always look forward to these conversations. And something you brought up just we're in the preamble, this conversation in particular, you know, there's an emotional component for you. And I, and what I was thinking is you're, you, you really bring your whole self as a host of the boiling point. Like you're, you're just authentically you and you let kind of what our emotion come and it's just, it's really refreshing. It's really nice. And so, uh, so you were, it was funny because you showed up like on time, but I was like, this is, you're actually late for Emily because Emily's usually early on the one. <laughs> so I was like texting you going like, are you coming or what? And it's, it's still like two minutes before the, the or more, but, um, but anyways, it's just funny. But you said, uh, I was actually trying to find some Kleenex because I feel like this is going to be emotional. Yeah, I do. So I got a Kleenex box. Um, <laughs> and the reason why I feel like it's going to be emotional is, so our guest today, Rachel, Rachel Vandervenen is the executive director of Larch St. John. And I'll have Rachel introduce herself and what Larch St. John is. But for me, the the connection to Larch St. John is it supports people with disabilities. And yeah, already like my sister who has a, an intellectual disability and just seeing even with her health and where she is right now, just how much more, just how needed these types of organizations are and just the powerful work that Rachel does. So yeah, that's the emotional component to me, but no, you're right. I do bring my full self to everything I do. Sometimes I'm like, okay, Emily, maybe don't. I I think you should. I love it. I personally admire it and it's, it's who you are. And so it's, and the fact that we can talk about it openly is great. And, and yeah, like, of course, this is an emotionally charged conversation given, you know, your family history and your sister who you've talked about before. And, um, and we're going to bring Rachel in in a moment here, but I was thinking um, you've also been asked to emcee an upcoming event that we're probably going to talk about as well. So is there any pressure involved in that or how are you feeling about that? No, there's no pressure at all. So all of our mutual friend, Dave Stonehouse, was the one who uh, reached out. So I went to the event last year. And when they were talking about MCs to have at their event this year, apparently my name came up. And uh, so they reached out and I had a call with with Dave Stonehouse. And he asked if I would MC the event. And without even thinking, I'm like, absolutely. And then at the end of the call, I was like, wait a minute, what does MC do? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and obviously I, I know what an MC does, but it was like, when you dive into it a little deeper, I'm like, wait a minute, what are my roles and responsibilities? And, like, but no, I feel no pressure. I'm so excited about it. It was such a great event last year. And I feel just so honored and humbled to have, um, to be asked to be the MC at it. So yeah, we will definitely talk about that event. And with that, I say, let's just bring in Rachel. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> Hello, Rachel. Welcome to the boiling point. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to in this conversation, seeing the roster of other guests that you have, I'm like, woof. <laughs> you fit right in uh, for sure. And uh, we're, we're excited to have you on and learn. I'm, I'm excited to learn a little more about you. And you give me permission to say this, but I had the pleasure of, of uh, introducing, I don't know if I introduced you to you, you may have met already, but but you were looking for a coach and, and, uh, and I suggested Emily and you said, I was hoping you suggest her because that's exactly what I was thinking, which, which would imply that you, you know, you'd met her before, but I, but I've just been thrilled to hear. And of course I don't hear the content of the conversations. I'm not sure what's happened, but from Emily's side, she just like is thrilled working with you for all the reasons, you know, she just described in terms of the organization, but, but also uh, I'm guessing how you show up as well. So what's, can we kick things off by just asking you, about the coaching journey, because a lot of people have heard about coaching, but they're they they haven't experienced it. And you're you'd be a few months into it. I'm just would you be comfortable talking about that? Absolutely, yeah. Is there a specific question, or or just generally what? Yeah, yeah. Just what what's what's your experience been? You went into it with a level of openness and and interest, and I'm just kind of curious where you are now in terms of what the experience has been like. 
It's been a great experience. Like you said, Dave, I was so excited to be matched with Emily and we had met once. It was at the fundraising dinner that Larch held last year. And um, we I had never met Emily at that point, but I saw her like standing in the hallway on her phone checking something. And I had seen her your picture online, Emily. So I, I, I like knew who you were and in a gust of confidence, I just marched right up to you. And I was like, are you Emily? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, and just totally rolled with it. So uh, I really appreciated your openness to that enthusiasm. Had a little fangirl moment, but um, coaching has been wonderful so far. In in our first conversation, Dave, and in conversations with Emily, um, I continue to be curious and fascinated by the relationship or distinction between or boundary between coaching, mentorship and therapy. Um, and you, I mean, you've explained, you know, where those kind of buckets fit both of you, but even still, I find myself not questioning that, but just navigating what my relationship to Emily is and, and what I do bring to the conversation and um, what is reflected back. So yeah, I found it to be really encouraging. It's really powerful to have someone in my corner who is unbiased to the organization and the work that I do, or uninvolved, I should say. I have like the best boss, Dave Stonehouse, who we've already mentioned in this conversation, and I'll, I'm sure he'll come up again, but I have a lot of support around me in my professional life, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, and Emily is a really big part of that. But again, it's helpful to have that support just outside of the day-to-day. Well, and I, as someone who works with the coach and the coach I work with, I've mentioned before, has no affiliation with the comp- with my company, with Vision Coaching. And the value, just did, like I think I like how you described that, just that someone who's just external enough, you know, and just objective enough that can share a perspective that and 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 you can open up in a different way, I find, you know, despite having all these great people around me, there's probably the, there's some safety and just that confidentiality and that that level of objectivity, if that makes sense. So I, that's what I think I'm hearing you describe. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's that objectivity, it's it's hearing someone reflect back to you what they're hearing. Cause sometimes it's, it's tough to really hear what you yourself are saying. Um, yeah, that objectivity and confidentiality are, are really, really key. Well, it's funny because I was, I first kind of chuckled at the, um, when I was on my phone checking something and I remember that exact moment and there was the silent auction, which there will be again this year. And there was a trip to bid on. And I was looking at my calendar to see Am I even available if I put a bid on this date? <laughs> and, and then that's when I met you. <laughs> and it was it was that immediate, like, I loved that you just came right up and introduced yourself. And I think that more people should do that and just immediately connecting with you. And um, how even when Dave had said that he had a client, a potential client for me, and, and was I taking new clients? And he said what organization it was from. And I was secretly like, I hope it's Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's wonderful. It's the best feeling when you can when 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 you actually make a match and both parties are really excited. And it happens a lot. But when it doesn't happen, it's I just so much more appreciate this because there's you know the occasion where you have to make some adjustments and stuff. But but that was really cool. And and what I find interesting, I start I'm gonna cut you off and I apologize, um, is that I don't know I don't know if there's a real science to it, but there's just sometimes I'm talking to someone, I just get a sense like you know what I think I think they'd really gel well. And sometimes people give you really specific reasons to work with a particular person. Um, you didn't, Rachel, but just something you shared with me when we were getting to know each other and explaining the coaching process. And 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 it just was like, oh man, I think Emily would be a good fit for you. So so anyways, just the fact that three of us are here talking about this doesn't happen very often. So it's kind of an interesting uh, dynamic, I should say, from the, you know, the coaching. But over to you, Emily. I, I apologize. I cut you off. No, 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 all good. And I love that we can openly speak about this while still keeping things kind of uh, confidential in between uh, our relationship, Rachel, but around how you would be maybe categorized as a, a young leader 
a relatively new leader in this new executive position role and or executive director role. And what I have loved to see so much is the way that you step into that role and bring all of these strengths and skill sets that you have from other areas into your life. And in my mind, I'm like, you're not a you're not a new leader. You're not a new executive director. Like you are now able to tap into all of these other areas and bring them fully into your role. And you are so coachable, and your level of self awareness um, is just like it's. I think the last time, which shouldn't surprise anybody, I was like in tears at the end of just like happy tears and just like yes, like all of these things that you're like just seeing and realizing and these aha moments. Like it is so rewarding and fulfilling for me as your coach to watch you and be a part of that journey. So thank you for having me be a part of it. I don't know what to say. Thank you, Emily. That's everything you just shared is very humbling and and really sweet. And I just really appreciate you. (laughs) Thank you. And so with that, for our audience, who is Rachel Vandervenen? <laughs> yeah, good. we've got that whole intro piece. Of <laughs> I am Rachel Vandervenen. I am the executive director and community leader of Lurch St. John. I'm new to this role uh, in the past four or five months or so, um, but I've been with the organization since 2020, so just about three years now. And prior to Large St. John, I have done a variety of things, but I've been with a large community in the past and with Large Chicago in 2016, 2017. So I kind of had some of that Large history imbued in my values and experience already. And that's what ultimately drew me back to Large. Um, but I, so I academically, I have a BA in international development and an MA in geography. Um, that research in my master's degree was looking at nonprofit revenue diversification strategies, mostly in the food space. So looking at food insecurity and food rescue. But I've never, I feel really lucky and blown away that I get to have this role today with Larsh because I've never um, I've never been someone who knew what I wanted to be or do when I grew up. Um, Emily, when we started working together, and you mentioned this earlier, one of my goals with coaching that I identified was learning how to dream. And even, I mean, even as a kid, I just had a hard time sensing what my path was. I've always had a really complicated relationship to the word passion and pursuing your passion and following your passion. And um, because I've just, I've held multitudes of curiosities and have had the privilege of following those paths and breadcrumbs along the way, but I've never felt this sense of a singular calling or a singular path. And so as a a pretty young person, I, I turned 30 this year, it, it really, it, I'm just really thankful to be in the position that I am today and to have this opportunity. And that's thanks to the people around me that have supported me and mentored me along the way. I want to get back to your journey in a moment, but I think it'd be helpful for listeners to understand what L'Arche uh, does, you know, and what it stands for and the great work that the organization does. Yeah. Thanks for flagging that. <laughs> I skimmed over it. Um, So Large St. John is a community of people with and without intellectual disabilities. Our mission is to make known the gifts and contributions of adults with intellectual disabilities revealed through mutually transforming relationships. And so at our heart, we are, our values are rooted in, I'm going to use the word relationships a lot here, but rooted in mutual relationships in seeing the value of the whole person in investing in learning and growth along the way. And we live out our mission by um, providing home and day program support. And so we have a house on the west side of St. John. Uh, We have a day program, an artistic day program uptown St. John called Creative Connections. And we just launched a new program um, called Larsh Connects, where we're supporting folks living in their own apartment. And so 
I, I just like to clarify that we're not, L'Arche isn't, you know, a housing agency or a day program agency. Really, our, our mission is about building community, building relationships, and seeing the world around us transform and become more compassionate and inclusive as a result. And we're part of an international federation. So there are large communities all around the world. In Canada, there's about 30 communities across the country. Um, in New Brunswick, we're the only confirmed community. Um, there's a project in Marsh Fredericton that are working on getting established. But there's certainly um, like the need for more Larsh in New Brunswick cannot be overstated and I can speak more to that but uh, we're working on on growing our presence not not for growth's sake but because we hear so often from families and aging parents who have adult children and they want to know that their loved one will be safe and loved and celebrated when you know they pass on so it's a really exciting community to be a part of. It feels like uh, we're part of something really special and something really important. What would you say would be the, you know, you speak about the relationships and the community and what would you say that you have learned from L'Arche around relationships and community that have really helped you as a leader and step into this new role as executive director? Relationships and community are very complicated. <laughs> and the most beautiful thing. I was uh, reflecting on the first couple months of my transition into this role with a friend and a colleague. And I was describing how intense, you know, the first few weeks were and just really long hours, really long days. And I said, the worst part is, though, is that it's so fulfilling. <laughs> if it in some ways it feels like you know it would be easier if I didn't care or didn't feel as invested because it would somehow feel easier to, to separate myself out but that's also the intrinsic beauty of of working in a field where you feel so passionate about and so back to your question Emily I, I went on a little tangent there but what drew me to Larsh in the first place was those relationships with folks with intellectual disabilities. There's something so transformative about them. It's really a, a journey to learning more about yourself in a way. I'm not a theater person, but I've heard of or read of or think of the comparison with improv a little bit where with, you know, in some conversations, you never quite know where it's going to go and everything everything becomes a response of yes and like that standard improv kind of rule of thumb and so it's what I appreciate about those relationships is that there's not as much a facade that many of us keep up every single day just based on you know societal expectations and norms and so in translating that experience and those relationships into leadership I think it really has infused a sense of creativity and being really open to whatever comes our way, even and especially when it's really unpredictable and sometimes really hard. But I think that openness to learning and, you know, going off script <laughs> is, is so key to any leader and yeah, those relationships and, and that community work just really infuses that. I learned about Larsh from one of the former board members, Martin Chasson, and his experience, you know, father of three children, one, one his eldest, Jacques, would be a, a client of Larsh. And, uh, but just the tension around um, not knowing what's next for your child, your adult child, uh, as you age. And I got a sense of the, the, a stronger sense maybe of the burden that that would, uh, I mean, it's tough being a parent 
with neurotypical children is like, I just, you know, it's, it's hard enough and I can just imagine, um, especially as you age, the challenges around that. So, you know, you talked about there's this big need and, and, you're, and Lars St. John is fulfilling some of that need, but I suspect not, not enough. And it's, we'll talk about the event we're doing to raise more awareness, but what, what is the need out there? Like for people that don't fully understand or have that experience or, or know someone like Montana, what, can you shed some light on that? Yeah. And first, I want to be careful about the words that we use. And when I say a word, a word like need, or you use the word burden, let's be clear that disability is not a burden, right? The shame is that our society isn't built. We don't have social structures or policies built that there is enough support out there. Thank you for clarifying that because that's I, I certainly didn't mean that. I've been exactly what you're saying is like, you know, the burden of a parent not knowing what their child has available to them in a society that doesn't maybe recognize or has had the systems built to support someone. You know, that's kind of more the, the, the burden that I speak of. Yes, yes, absolutely. Just yesterday, I met with an aging mother and her adult child. I have received a call from them and know the mother is aging she knows that she's aging there's no family support that could you know support her child her adult child and so she's looking at what are the next steps what are the options and so we we met yesterday um unfortunately chronically large st john doesn't typically have capacity because our resources are stretched so thin, just based on the funding landscape as it is now. And we're working on changing that. But having those conversations with families is so heartbreaking in a way because, you know, again, these are aging parents who are planning for their next steps. They know they won't be around forever. There's not a clear option for support for their loved one. And you know, what happens next? Like it, it's, I'm not a parent, so I, I don't have that direct experience, but I, I just can't imagine the fear living in that fear of not knowing that their loved one will be cared for. So there's a huge need out there. We get those phone calls very frequently and it's really heartbreaking to have to say, we don't have capacity at this time and we're working on changing that. And this dinner coming up will be an important piece of that. Yeah. The need is huge. And awareness, I think is, is a really key point because if you don't have that direct experience, it's not something that people bump up against every day. Like, you, you know, like you, you seeing the, you know, through Larsh and Emily seeing it through your, your, your family's lens. Right. And so, I mean, I think, when we see that, but we, we can, it's, it's easy not to maybe notice, right. If you don't have that direct experience and, and just not even be aware. I just wonder, like, I guess for me, that was a really interesting thing that happened was when Martin told me, I went, Oh my gosh, it makes so much sense. Like how could, I never thought of that before. You know, it just was like a lightning bolt. Like it just was so surprising. And then to hear the challenge is trying to find a place for Jacques and, and you know, and he shared a story very publicly, like, which I thought was really brave and um, to be able to do that. So it feels like there's a, an awareness component as well. And I, anyways, I feel like that the dinner and having a high profile MC like Emily can really help bring people to learn because once you've, you know, you can't unknow it, right. You want to, you want to be part of it in some ways is my, my personal um, experience. Yeah. And even with that for myself, who has a sister with Down syndrome. And so that's been my entire life. She's my oldest sister. and how I hadn't really thought much about, well, what would be those next steps? And my sister was always very high functioning. She lived on her own, had her own apartment for years, and then developed Alzheimer's and just has very quickly um, regressed, I guess, with Alzheimer's to the point that now she needs full-time care. So I was living with my mom. And in many ways, it's almost like having like a, a toddler in a family again. And so myself, like kind of being here to, to help out more. And, but it's like, it's even for myself that I almost 
was kind of oblivious in some ways because she was so high functioning and she lived on her own. And I never really thought that things would change. It's just like, this is who Jessica is. And yeah, she needs a little bit more help. We all do at times. Um, But then to see how quickly that changes, or if something were to happen that there isn't a parent there, then it is like, yeah, like what is next? Like, what are those other options? And for people to have to be told that there isn't an option, like, gosh, yeah, those are difficult conversations to have. And then, then what? And so, yeah, the need is huge. And, you know, one of the things that you spoke of, Rachel, when when speaking about the how has this kind of helped you as a leader and you used the word creativity and I love that. And just this like kind of breaking off this facade as to like how we should be and how we should all fit into society and like what that even is and what we can learn by like being around individuals with disabilities or people who they don't have that facade because it's not natural for them to even have it. And to be able to, to, to learn from that and bring those into your role, I think like, gosh, how amazing is it? Or could it be if more and more leaders were able to break free from that and tap into more of their creativity? Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. I was just going to say, I think in a way, in a, in an odd way, I mean, not, not to the degree that you probably experience at large, but I think sometimes that's, you know, if we go back to coaching, it is a chance for people to be just their authentic selves, right. In, in a really pure coaching relationship. And it wouldn't it be nice if they, people could experience that outside of that. And what you're describing racially, you, you have that, that, that opportunity daily, probably in the work you do, where a lot of times there's some, and we, and you get, we would all appreciate this that we'd walk into certain organizations, and you know, you got to dress a certain way, you got to look, you know, you got to kind of play the part a little bit, right? And um, it's, I, I, it'd be very, it must be very fulfilling, you know. Actually, that's not encouraged in your organization. The exact opposite would be encouraged, is what I get. <laughs> <laughs> so, like you mentioned, your journey, Rachel, what's prepared you for this? What were the building blocks for you? I have had the opportunity and privilege of being able to grow a lot professionally in my skills and experience in the past three years since moving to St. John and, and working with large St. John. Um, so this, this particular organization has given me a lot of that growth and a lot of those building blocks. Um, I need to credit Dave Stonehouse for a lot of that growth. He's um, played a really key mentor role for myself. Um, he's our president and chair of the board. So in my new role, he's technically my boss, but <laughs> we still share a very close and um, meaningful kind of mentorship relationship. So I would say that's been the biggest, like if not for the support I've had in in my previous role with the organization and in my experience with the organization, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't have cold applied for an executive director position anywhere at this stage of my career, but I have the privilege of having built 
really healthy relationships with the team there, with my colleagues, uh, with the core members there, with the board of directors. So that's been the most crucial piece is, is being able to have established that kind of foundation to set me up for success in this role. But gosh, lots of other opportunities along the way. I think there's a quote out there and I won't do it justice, but it's something about how uh, we are the accumulation or the reflection of every person we've met along the way. And I think that's never as true as with leadership and the leaders that we have been led by. So like my leadership today is a complete reflection of the leaders that have led me over the years for better and for worse. I see that as such a clear example of osmosis. It's the only thing I remember from grade 10 science. (laughs) (laughs) But I think of um, like my master's degree, for example, I was interested in, you know, that area of study But the real reason I I went to do that degree was because I really wanted to work with my advisor who I had met in my undergrad. I knew that she was a person that I really admired and could learn a lot from, not just academically, because that's not where I see my future, but as a person and as a leader and as a mentor. It feels really hard to narrow down an answer to that question, Dave, because how do you summarize, you know, years of, of experiences along the way? But it's, it's really the people that I've seen model good leadership that have helped me step into this role with confidence. This just has me thinking now. You have spoken so highly of the people that you work with and your staff at large. And to the point that I've like, I think I've said to you at times, like, do you tell them this? Like, this is like, like, I wish that this was recorded right now so they could hear this. And I was on a call and I did share this with you, but then I was on a call with Dave Stonehouse um, last week and he was speaking so highly of you. And I called you afterwards, I think, or we had a coaching call after, and I was sharing what he had said. And yeah. So here it is like Dave, or Dave has been like a mentor to you. You're learning these leadership styles of ultimately like how much you believe in, in, in your staff and in your employees. And here you are speaking about people who for lack of what are better words are like below you in that same uplifting way. And, um, that's that's rare to hear on a off the record, completely confidential call for for people to speak of others who they are working with at such a high, high, high level. It's true. Like I, I would not be here if not for my team around me. There's just no question. I am only as successful as the team around me. I believe that wholeheartedly. So my real work then is to support my team with everything I can give them. Yeah, absolutely. You spoke of something um, earlier around how to kind of separate when you are so, even though I know you don't like the word, passionate about what it is that you are doing, as in like your values and your integrity are so into what LARSH stands for, and then how to then be able to separate it. And so how are you learning to navigate or are you navigating being able to separate those two or are they separated? Can you define those two? As in like professionally, Rachel, as the executive director, and then you at the end of your work day. Mm. So this is something on my mind a lot. And Emily, we've had conversations about this and I have conversations with others about that, but yeah, how to navigate holding a professional role and a leadership role in a small city where you know everyone is connected and and everyone knows each other and what drew me to Larsh initially was that attraction to dropping the facade entering into really authentic really honest relationships with people and that continues to draw me in is that authenticity of dropping the facade, showing up in a way that is really true to my own values and 
and integrity. I think I, I keep thinking of the word integrity when it comes to this conversation. Like if I, if I behave differently in my professional life than I do in my personal life and vice versa, then to me, that's, there's a question mark there. Like, how do I reconcile those different presentations of myself? And if I can't reconcile that, if I can't understand that or make sense of that in a way that feels good, (laughs) for lack of a better word, then I know that I have work to do to make sure that I can show up not the same because of course, of course, in every social scenario, we, each one of us presents ourselves a little bit differently, but I think it really comes down to values and what I'm living out and everything of what I'm saying sounds very ambiguous and kind of vague. So I'm I'm trying to piece together a, a better kind of example or more specific way of saying this, but yeah, like if there's a way that I'm showing up in my personal life that I wouldn't show up in my professional life. If I am doing things with my friends that I wouldn't feel comfortable doing, well, no, I'll take that back. <laughs> as, as you can see, I'm still workshopping all of this and still navigating this. Of course. But one really key example, I guess, is that, and this comes back to leadership style in a way, is that I feel really committed that each person, including myself, lives a really good quality of life and a good work-life balance. And working in the nonprofit space, that work-life balance can be really tricky to strike, especially where the the professional and the personal can be so blended. And Larsh certainly has a reputation for that, which is very beautiful and at times challenging to navigate. But for my team, I try to be intentional and ask them, you know, what makes you come alive? What gives you energy? What makes you feel rebalanced in your day, day to day? Because if that's, if we can't work that into your schedule with work, then what are we doing here? Like, how can we give you the best quality of life and the best balance that we can do so that you can show up both in your professional and your personal life feeling really fulfilled? And so in my life, that looks like separating out time in my schedule to go to the gym because exercise is very important to my own balance and mental health. And that's something that everyone knows. Like I, people know that I go to the gym during the workday and I extend my hours late. Like I, I work that into my schedule in a way that people are aware of it. They know it, they trust it and they respect it. And they see me model that. So uh, nurturing that that quality of life feels really, really important. Is it called Creative Connections? It's on um, Prince William yes. Street in St. John. Can you describe what happens there? Because I think maybe that's a tangible way, one example of many that you you know, where you can get a sense of um, the good work you're doing and how your members are showing up and, and how you're supporting them and, and supporting each other. Creative Connections is a really exciting program that we have. It started in 2016. Um, It's an artistic day program. It's right in the heart of Uptown St. John, as you said, Dave. It's on Prince William Street, right across from Java Moose, basically. So many people listening to this podcast have probably walked by it and (laughs) appeared in the window and wondered what's happening in there. Um, But that's a program that runs Monday to Friday, nine to three. It's arts-based. So we um, collaborate with local artists, with the St. John Art Center, with the public library. We've done some collaboration with Chroma NB and hope to do more collaboration with them in the future. It's a chance to develop not just artistic skills and self-expression, but it's really a hub of creativity and belonging where for many members who come legitimately, they have found friends there sometimes for the first time in their lives. Mm -hmm. They have a social network. We facilitate conversations about world events, politics, black lives matter, sexuality, and bring those conversations to an accessible place that disabled voices can learn and process this together because so often 
um, there isn't space for their voices to be heard and, and understood. And so, yes, art is a big outcome of that program. And that is a really exciting feature of the program. We had a beautiful art exhibition at Government House in December, uh, thanks to the Lieutenant Governor. Um, we have other art shows that happen. So art is a really important piece of that program, of course, but a whole other piece of this is about belonging, um, expression, friendship, having a social network of support. It really is such an exciting kind of hub of, of community. And actually, maybe we can use that to segue to the event that Emily's emceeing, because the one last year, what I thought was great was how involved, you know, the entire organization was in presenting and helping at the tables and, and all this sort of thing. So it was, it was like not your kind of typical um, chicken dinner sort of thing, right? I understood the organization better just through that experience. So what's the, the goal of that and what can people expect? And if, you know, where would people get tickets if they don't have them, that sort of thing? So um, this is our third year hosting our gala event called Building Community. This year, it'll be on Wednesday, September 27th at the Delta Hotel in St. John. Um, our guest speaker is Roxanne Fairweather, the co-founder of Innovatia. And of course, our MC is Emily Roger, um, which we're really excited about. So this is an evening of, it's a combination of things. It's an opportunity to come together and network with other business folks in the community. It's really a chance for us to grow awareness of Lourish and of the need to grow in, in New Brunswick. There's a silent auction. Um, there's a question and answer period with uh, Roxanne Fairweather, our special guest. But it's really become a really important event for our community to broaden our network and grow that awareness, as you said, Dave. Lars St. John has been around since 2005, but for most of our existence, we kept a pretty low profile. And it's really in the past few years thanks to Dave Stonehouse's work, that our profile has been able to grow and we've been able to, you know, reach more folks and, and grow that awareness and grow that support. So a big piece of this dinner is that it is a fundraiser. Year over year, we fundraise about 50% of our annual budget, uh, which is a really heavy lift and a big task every single year. And so this dinner is a really important uh, way for us to grow awareness uh, raise funds and grow into the future. So tickets are available on our website, which is larchsaintjohn.org, which is L-A-R-C-H-E saintjohn.org. And again, it's on September 27th. Yeah, piggybacking on what you said, Dave, it really is such a fun event. Like there's, there's just the perfect amount of time of social time, like the amount of people that I have met or that I met last year at that dinner. And last year it was Marcella Braun, who was um, the guest speaker who has been on the boiling point. And he's just such a phenomenal man. If you have not listened to that podcast for the listeners, listen to that episode for sure. Um, but it, yeah, it was such a beautiful and fun evening. I'm just remembering I missed last year. It was the year before. So you did. Was, I was going to say, I don't like, think you were there because you were supposed <laughs> to be at my table. Oh, no. <laughs> I just, as soon as I said Marcel, I was like, wait a second. I had to miss that one. We certainly bought tickets. I think that's when you got one of the seats, Emily. That was the year before Frank McKenna was uh, the guest, the, you know, that now Roxanne and Marcel was last year. And it would be important for people to check out the website to get a better sense of what Larsh does and and I, and actually, you know, if you think about it, 2005, like you haven't been around a long time in St. John, but it has been just the last few years where I think there's a greater awareness of, of L'Arche and what it does and how it delivers services is also very unique. Like you said earlier, we're not you know, like kind of giving people places to live, but we're creating relationships. And, and uh, so it's, it's, it's uh, something very different. Just out of curiosity, how did you get connected in Chicago? You mentioned L'Arche Chicago, like what was the... Was it just serendipitous or 
It was kind of spontaneous. I was young, out of university, didn't know what I was going to do with my life, knew I was drawn to Lurch. And so I was scrolling through the list of communities around the world. And I happened to have a dual citizenship with the United States. And so working down there was an option for me. And I had the appetite and energy to live in a new city. And so I moved in pretty blind. I have some family history in Chicago on my dad's side. So it was cool to kind of reconnect with that side of my history in a little little bit. But yeah, it was really just an appetite for adventure and a keenness for Larch. Good for you. And so the keenness for Larch, like, or that interest, where where did that develop? So about 10 years ago, I was part of a book club and um, learned about Larsh kind of through that. And there was something, there's just something about the Larsh values and the Larsh model of care and that model of community support that just stuck with me. And so for many years, I knew that I wanted to be involved in some way. And that's carried through now 10 years later still. So wow, amazing. Yeah. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for your time today and for all the work that you do and all the ways that you are supporting the community, not just in St. John, but internationally. And uh, at the end of each episode, we do takeaways. So Dave, what are you taking away from our conversation today with Rachel? Where to start? I really like how Rachel is very thoughtful in how she processes a question and 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 is very intentional about the answer that leaves me hanging on. Um, and it's it's a, it's a really interesting, like very I think valuable trait in a leader. And so because I'm the exact opposite, maybe that's what I I really appreciate about it. Uh, so I was noticing that and just kind of the thoughtfulness of the answers for me. You know, it's this idea of the relationships that impact both individuals versus, you know, like a, a care provider and, and a client. But the fact that there's there's this reciprocity, I, I like that's how I took it anyhow. I find that really powerful. And and you know, and I and I've experienced it, right? You know, as both probably a client and and as a, and as someone who's on the other side of the relationship. So, you know, which is I'm sure um a big part of the large values. So that's that's something that uh that struck me as as quite fascinating. I agree with you, Dave, on the uh, I always admire with Rachel how she does think before she speaks. And like you, Dave, I'm the total opposite. Um, (laughs) So maybe maybe that's also why I notice it so much. But then your answers are you have so much wisdom, like so much wisdom. I think every time I get off the call with you, I'm just kind of like in awe of the level of wisdom and grace and poise that you always carry. And um, I think for me, the, the takeaway is around just that creativity and, and how can we um, like as leaders bring more of that creativity and break apart that kind of social status or social norm of how we think that we should be showing up and just kind of shake that around a little bit and do our own little painting, our own little drawing in, um, in just how we can be showing up in just a real, like authentic way as a leader. And, you know, you speaking about the, the taking time for yourself and taking time for yourself throughout the day. And that reminded me of, um, we had Dr. Dana Lee Bagley on the podcast a couple of episodes ago and speaking about, you know, our eternal battery. And at the end of the day, like we've only got so much battery, the same as your iPhone, it's only got so much battery. And so what are those things that we can be doing throughout the day to keep ourselves charged? And so taking that time for ourselves, but then also around the relationships in the community and how, when we have like just a good environment and good community around us, then it's not as draining and it doesn't drain that battery as much. And then ultimately, I mean, it's just a win-win for everyone. So I could keep going on about my takeaways. Uh, so I will stop it there. <laughs> Can I add a comment to that, Emily? Yeah. The battery analogy often comes up just in general. It's a widely known analogy about energy resourcing, especially for introverts. And I identify as an introvert. <laughs> I've always identified more with this image of rather than trying to fill my battery up 
to empty myself out where rather than thinking about the energy I can give, it's, I think about what do I have the capacity to receive? So at the end of the day of a really long day, I'm like wiped. I'm so full of stimulus and information and challenges that the work for me, then my own self-care is to filter through all of that information and empty, you know, keep what needs to be kept, but empty out the rest so that I have capacity to receive again. And I just name that because I always hear that battery analogy and I feel like, no, there's another way. Yeah. This is what I love analogies. I love analogies and hearing of the ways that other people do think of it. And yeah. All right. So listeners, get your tickets to the Larch St. John event and come and see Rachel and Dave and myself. We will all be there. So we are going to list all of Rachel's information and all the information for Larch St. John and any extras we discussed in the show notes. And the best place for everyone to find that is on our website at boilingpointpodcast.com. We are active on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. And this video of all of us will be available on YouTube and Facebook. And of course, the podcast is available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. So Rachel, thank you so much. I look forward to chatting with you again soon. And Dave, same to you. Yes. See you at the dinner. And the event I was at two years ago, not last year, was sold out. I think last year was sold out as well. So get your tickets quick. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm glad you mentioned that because yes, get the tickets quick because it is uh, it is selling out fast, which is really, really awesome. So don't miss it. Thank you both so much for having me. It's been really fun to chat and give the opportunity as well to share more about Larsh and the work that we're doing. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app or visit boilingpointpodcast.com for more. Hi, I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.